Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Amy Spreeman. And I'm Michelle Leslie. We hope you enjoyed last week's revisiting of what has turned out to be a popular Glad You Asked Christmas edition that we aired last December. If you missed it, head on over to our website, awordfitlyspoken.life, or any of our podcast platforms, and be sure to give it a listen. All right. And this season of Christmas, we are preparing our hearts and our minds to remember and celebrate the amazing and awesome love of God in sending Jesus to be the perfect, sinless Savior. Yes, we do look back on his incarnation in human flesh with great joy and jubilation. And for the Christians around the world, Christmas is also a reminder to look forward to Christ's return to earth. What joy to the world who knows him as their Lord. And what an opportunity we have to share him with those who don't know him. That's right. We're commanded to share the gospel everywhere we can in a world that seems to be, you know, growing darker by the hour. And living in this world, and remember, this world is not our home, but living here isn't an easy walk in the park, is it? I mean, sometimes, (laughs) sometimes it can be really challenging to navigate these times where when people are are growing increasingly hostile toward Christ and because of him towards Christians because he lives within us. Um, So many of you have family members, co-workers, neighbors who, whether they realize it or not, are in desperate need of the one true God who can forgive their sins. Yeah, they may have nice homes, great circumstances, and other cool possessions, or as my grandpa would say, they have the world by the tail. I always thought that was funny. Um, Perhaps they even have great relationships, but their need is real. And if you really stop to think about their eternal circumstances, uh, you know, if you let your mind go there, and we should, it is horrifying to consider that these dear precious ones are perishing. And that's why you and I are here, Michelle. We may very well be used as God's providence to share that message of hope. And, uh, you know, that's why all of us are here as Christians. In this episode, we're going to talk more about how we can navigate our relationships in a particular area where hopelessness seems to reign. Right. We were inspired to take on this subject after one of our listeners asked recently how she should handle a situation at work where a co-worker is in a homosexual relationship. And he recently quote unquote, married his male partner. And please understand every time we're talking about this, this topic of homosexual, quote unquote, marriage, that those bunny ears are around marriage, married, all that kind of thing, because it is not a marriage. It's a sin. And uh, God does not condone that kind of marriage. And it is rebellion against him. So it is it is not a marriage. It is not a wedding, anything like that. Please just just understand that as we're talking about this topic. So so what we're thinking about tonight is how should a Christian relate to someone in their lives who is obviously living in sexual sin without appearing to condone this so-called marriage? Well, thankfully, God does not leave us without answers. As with every other issue in life, our thinking, our words, our actions must be shaped by and in submission to the authority of Scripture, not public opinion, not political agendas, not our own personal feelings, opinions, and experiences. 
Scripture. Yes, and we are going to broaden the scope a bit as we head over to Scripture because many of you have told us that you are in similar circumstances, having loved ones, family members, neighbors, coworkers, etc., embracing their own sexual sin or giving approval to and normalizing other people's sin. Um, So what we are talking about is the kind of sexual sin that seems to be getting a wink and a nod, not only from our society, but now even from some in the visible church. I say visible because there's a difference between the visible church and the true bride of Christ. And just so you are aware, uh, there's been this movement that's been going on for about a decade or so in which activists for the LGBTQ are being trained to initiate meetings with pastors and elders of some of the more conservative Bible-preaching churches uh, to have conversations about homosexual inclusion in churches. You know, just hear our stories, they'll say, asking the church to lean in and uh, hoping to tug on heartstrings and muddy the clarity of God's word. You know, this is a real movement and it's called the Reformation Project. It was started by a man by the name of Matthew Vines, whom I've been researching for many years. And uh, I don't want to give too much airtime to this, so I'll put a link on our show notes so you can see how this movement is taking hold in a growing number of churches. Now, as for what God says about giving leeway to sin, Romans one thirty two says it really well, very clearly. It says this, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, if it's an abomination to God for sinners to give approval to the sins of others, how much more abominable is it in his sight for Christians to give approval to the sins of others? You know, that's so true. And unfortunately, that it really is sneaking into the church. And once yeah. once it does, it's very difficult for leaders to be persuaded to repent. It's not impossible, but it is very difficult. This kind of thing has been happening for eons. And the Apostle Paul saw the danger of sexual sin in the church, and he had to take measures to put a stop to it, even in his time. Um, So, you know, we can remember what happened in the Corinthian church. Uh, In chapter five of first Corinthians, we can read this. It says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you're arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And so this ha- this man had to leave the church in shame. Yeah, and we all know too well what God has told us about sexuality, gender identity, marriage, and so forth. It's actually very simple. He does not make it hard. God created 
male and female, and we don't get to decide which of the two we are in spite of our feelings or, you know, psychologists or teachers or the government telling us otherwise. Same with marriage. God created marriage to be between one man and one woman. And within that framework, human sexuality is confined to that parameter. Outside of that box, all other forms of sexuality or gender identity is a sin. That's not just an opinion. That is God's eternal word. But when dear, precious ones are embracing sexuality outside of those boundaries, we need to know as Christians what our reaction should be. After all, we have to live with or work with these folks. We love them. We want them to know that we love them. And yet honoring and glorifying God is so much more important. You, you know, you just want to throw up your hands and say, Lord, God, help. Well, thankfully, he has given us some guidelines, hasn't he? And like Michelle said earlier, he does doesn't leave us high and dry without answers. So let's continue with where Michelle left off in Romans 1, picking it up at verse 9. It says this, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So here, God is making a clear distinction between how we treat sexual sin outside the church and how we deal with it inside, with people who are professing Christians. In other words, don't associate with immoral people inside the body, even to eat dinner with them. Go ahead and judge them, Paul is saying, but those outside the church will be judged by God, not you. But we are also not to have the attitude that we should just ignore them either. They need to know their need. They need to know their Savior. That's so true. You know, there's a lot of talk among Christian women these days. I mean, men too, but women, you know, they're all about the feels. But uh, there's a lot of talk amongst Christians about being loving, this whole idea of being loving. And the world's idea of showing love to someone, and we especially see this regarding homosexuality and transgender right now the world's idea that to love some is that to love someone is to encourage that person in whatever beliefs or lifestyle makes her happy you want to marry a tree i'll throw you a bridal shower you know you want you're a woman who wants to be a man i'll go with you to the barber when you get a crew cut or whatever so yeah in the eyes of the world the worst sin you can commit is to tell someone that what she's doing is wrong or a sin and that she needs to repent. But that is a lie straight from the father of lies himself, because it's exactly the opposite of what God says. If you encourage someone in her sin, you are not loving her. You're basically telling her go to hell, literally, because if she continues living in unrepentant sin, that's exactly where she's going. And unfortunately, this this lie that being loving means being nice and never confronting anyone in her sin, that lie has infiltrated the church and contaminated the thinking of far too many professing Christians. Sin is 
dangerous and harmful. Why would we ever encourage someone in it? That is not love. One of the most poignant verses for those who have repented of some of the most repulsive sin is found a few chapters later in Romans 6, starting in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That verse is such a comfort to those of us who have been forgiven. And not one of us, yeah, and not one of us has any reason to boast or to be conceited about that. And we certainly shouldn't be encouraging others to stay in the sin, these sins that we just listed or any others, that Christ has so graciously rescued us out of. I mean, how much do you have to hate somebody to encourage her to keep living in a way that will send her to hell instead of calling her to repent and believe the gospel and experience the joy and the blessing of being set free and spending eternity with Christ? We have the good news. We rescue the perishing. Exactly. Amen and amen, Michelle. Um, Speaking of perishing, I want to share a testimony tonight uh, of somebody who was perishing. I have a friend who grew up in a Christian home and had gone to church. In college, she identified as a lesbian and lived that life for 15 years, her uh, entire adult life, until God intervened. Uh, You know, she had been um, through a rough breakup with someone that she had loved, and so So she decided one weekend she would invite a friend who happened to be a Christian woman uh, to come over. And as the two women began talking over coffee, the conversation turned to spiritual stuff. Those are her words, spiritual stuff. Um, So my friend disclosed that she was a lesbian during this conversation. And I'm going to quote her here. This is her testimony. She said, as we talked, I felt led to tell her that the lifestyle I was leading uh, as a lesbian um, and, you what was going on the past two years. And she said something like this, my friend, I believe homosexuality is wrong because the Bible says it is, but God loves you and so do I. But that's something you need to take to God. And she left it at that, never mentioning it again. And on Sunday, while we were out for lunch, she brought out the four spiritual laws tract put out by Campus Crusade for Christ. We had a discussion about that for about an hour concerning some of the truths in the tract. I don't remember any of the other specifics of our conversation, but I do know she did not ask if I wanted to ask Jesus into my life. She had to travel home that evening, so she gave me the tract and left me with things to ponder. The next morning, Monday, August twenty-second, 1988, I sat down in my favorite chair with a cup of coffee and read through the Four Spiritual Laws tract again, cover to cover. It said I could receive Christ right then by faith through prayer. I prayed the suggested prayer and meant it with all my heart. 
Okay, I'm going to stop there because I know this person and I can tell you that this wasn't some trite, close your eyes and slip your hand up kind of sinner's prayer, but a true conversion she had after God miraculously intervened and through his providence sent a believer into the life of an unbeliever to share biblical truth. And what my friend told me about this was the Christian friend didn't start with the sin. She started with Christ. I've thought a lot about that, Michelle, in the years since I've heard her testimony. People need Christ. He is the only true starting point for these kinds of conversations. So you're probably wondering what happened to my friend once she was regenerated. Did her uh, urges suddenly disappear? Well, in this case, no, not in her case. And um, everyone is different, but Um, In her case, it took several years of intense prayer and study. But as she grew in Christ and the Lord began his good work in her, she did change. And she now has a ministry to help homosexuals and family members to know Christ. And I'm going to share her ministry link along with the recording of her testimony uh, in our show notes. Oh, that's great, because I'm sure our listeners will want to read more about her story. And her struggle brings up a really good point about whether or not it's possible to be homosexual and a Christian. And the answer to that question is no. Uh, Whatever your pet sin might be, nobody gets to carry her sin past the cross. The The Bible knows nothing of an unrepentant Christian. Repentance is required for regeneration. So, you know, even though your friend is a Christian, when she struggled against temptation those first few years, that in no way made her a quote unquote gay Christian. It's it's possible for Christians to struggle against homosexual temptations. Many homosexuals who become Christians have understandably ongoing struggles against homosexual feelings and desires, just like your friend did. Um the Bible is clear that no Christian is sinless. First John 1 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So while the specific sin or temptation varies from one Christian to another, all Christians have struggles with sin and all Christians sometimes fail in those struggles. But the good news is, as we read in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, is this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So what differentiates a Christian's life from a non-Christian's life is the struggle against sin. The Christian life is a progressive journey of overcoming the acts of the flesh and submitting to God's spirit as he produces the fruit of the spirit in us. Yeah, that's right. And the reason that it's not possible to be a gay Christian is in that word struggle. God never created us to be, you know, homosexual, and yet people do struggle with sinful desires. But it's not the unpardonable sin, as we read that even some early believers were set free from it. Uh, we, we read that Bible verse, in, in Christ, we are a new creation. Christians may struggle with impatience, idolatry, lust, or pride, and even same-sex attraction, but that does not make them homosexuals, which is a lifestyle choice with complete acceptance and no struggle at all. 
Now, going back to the original question about how to navigate relationships with those who do not struggle or who have accepted their predicament as, you know, their lifestyle choice, you need to ask yourself and maybe even ask them, are these dear ones claiming to be believers or have they maybe grown up with some knowledge of who Christ is and what the Bible says? Well, if not, then we need to treat them like any other believer who does not know Jesus and who is at this moment in great need of knowing him. How do you proceed from there? Well, it's you know, it's going to depend on how well you know the person. Is he or she a family member or a neighbor, maybe somebody you work with? Always, no matter who it is, we show them love and grace. Your relationship status may dictate how you're able to approach this. So um, again, if, if it's maybe your child, that's somebody very close to you, they need to hear your honest, loving, nurturing truth about who Jesus is and what he says about any sin that will lead to destruction and their eternal death. With all kindness and humility, ladies, you point to Scripture as the authority on what is right or wrong, not on society or others or even yourself. You know, God always has the last word. But you can walk through this with them, and you should walk through this with them. Please don't leave them on their own to try to figure it out. Yes, absolutely. With those outside your family, Amy was talking about people inside your family, with those outside your family, again, you know, show love and grace. We aren't to condone sin ever. Um, For those who are steadfast in their convictions that their way is the right way and they're digging their heels in, you know, again, those folks need a serious heart change that only God can bring about. And we should be praying fervently that he will. But until he does the work in their hearts, your words aren't going to matter. Now, God's word matters because he works supernaturally through his word. Yeah. So, so do put his word in front of their eyes or ears as God gives you opportunities, but you can't argue or nag or harp on someone into changing. You know, you, you don't have the magic words to make their to make them change. Only God can change a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. But you can avoid partaking in anything that could signal your approval, such as attending a homosexual wedding. Don't do that. I mean, you can respectfully decline without causing any uproars. Remember, those uproars don't change hearts. Uh, and I have an article with uh, with a little bit more on not attending uh, homosexual weddings, which I will put in our show notes. But just briefly, let me say this, because I'm not sure. I wrote that article a long time ago, and I'm not positive if I put all this information in it or not. So let me just say this. Uh, about attending homosexual quote unquote weddings. Again, not a real wedding, not biblical. Um, I think a lot of people today, especially younger people, don't understand that when you attend a wedding, it's not just a party or a celebration. You go to witness two people taking vows before God. That's why in the ceremony, the pastor says, dearly beloved, we are gathered here in the sight of God and in the presence of these witnesses. You are witnessing the cutting of a covenant between two people and before God. And that is a grave responsibility on your part. And then, you know, the part of the ceremony where the pastor says, if anyone can show just cause why these two should not be joined in holy matrimony, let him speak now or forever hold his peace. That's a last ditch effort to help these people avoid making a rash or sinful vow before God or making a huge mistake. 
you know, if you know, if, if you get to that part of the ceremony and you have a good reason in mind why they should not be joined in homo- in holy matrimony, and again, homosexuality is certainly a good reason as it's neither holy nor matrimony, um, but if you get to that point and you have something in your mind, you shouldn't even be there at the ceremony supporting and witnessing their marriage with your presence. I mean, you know, just to give another example, think about this. For example, if you have irrefutable evidence that the bride has been sleeping around during the engagement or that the groom has been abusing the bride for their whole relationship, would you go to that wedding and support them getting married? Or or would you talk to the bride and or the groom as soon as you hear of the engagement and try to talk them out of making a terrible mistake? You know, if you love those people with the love of Christ, you'd try to help them and protect them. So if you wouldn't go to a wedding like that, then declining to attend a homosexual, quote unquote, wedding or reception or shower or bachelor party or giving a gift to celebrate their so-called marriage, you know, that should be a no brainer. You should know what to do in that situation. Yeah. And, you know, what if it is a coworker or somebody you interact with, maybe not as frequently. Well, you have to remember this if it's a job related thing. Remember that you are there to work with your team with integrity. That's why you're there. That's why you're employed. We are required as Christians to be kind and loving, and we should be praying for them. And also pray for yourself that God would give you the wisdom in how, when, or even if you are ready to share the hope you have. Sometimes at work, that's not even possible. So it's going to depend on those circumstances. But as always, we do need to engage with people in a way that honors God. So don't be half-hearted about it. Uh, If you're going to make an investment in someone, do so wisely and do so with your time. If you don't have the time to sit down and share scriptures, you're going to make an impact anyway. Yeah, that is a great point. Well, we've just barely scratched the surface on this topic. I'm sure it'll come up again in the future, but our notes today, uh, our show notes will have more. So head on over to our website, awordfitlyspoken.life. While you're there, please do support us by praying for us. And if you're able, uh, by helping us defray the cost of web servers and podcast hosting fees and things like that by donating through PayPal or Patreon. And thanks so much to those of you who already have. Yes, thank you so much much. And if this episode has been helpful to you, be sure to share it with your friends and loved ones. And until next time, seek the Lord with all your heart in all matters, share him with others, and walk worthy. 